right, good morning. If you would grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 15. So I, I searched and searched. And the best I can say is I preached this message five and a half years ago. So uh, most of you probably won't remember it. And uh, if you do, maybe you need it again. So uh, I was praying about this for a while and I wasn't sure if I, if I thought the Lord was going that way. And I think so. Uh, so if you would, Matthew chapter 15 and uh, verse number 8 is where we are. And of course, Jesus Christ is dealing with the nation of Israel and he's dealing with the religious rulers of the day. And he says this in verse number 8, here in Matthew chapter 15, he's quoting Isaiah and he says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Uh, here they are in the, in the nation of Israel. The Lord's basically dealing with the nation of Israel. He's, he's dealt with them, he's dealt with them, and he's dealt with them already. Uh, he's, he's not just barely starting the ministry. He's already started, uh, and he's been going for a while, and he's dealing with the nation of Israel. Uh, ultimately, this people is, an, is a reference to the nation of Israel. He's dealing with the religious folk, and he's uh, trying to deal with them, and he's letting them understand, hey, uh, you can do a lot of things with your lips, you can say a lot of things. You can, you can say what you know you should say, and your heart's not in it at all. Uh, we live in a world today where people just, they say what they need to say to get by. Uh, they're real good at lip service. Uh, they know how to say the right thing and do the right thing, and we've got a bunch of glorified politicians all over the place. Uh, they don't want to say anything that could make anybody upset because if, as soon as you make somebody upset in this life, you know, you're canceled. It's over with. Uh, you know, we've got this new society of you can't say anything wrong ever. And as soon as you say something wrong, everybody knows you've said it. And then you turn around and nobody can ever apologize and they take whatever they want to out of context anyways and just twist it around and get it to say whatever they want to say. And you say, we live in a day where, uh, honestly, people just say whatever it is they think you want to hear. Uh, and people do that all the time. They say what they think is great. They go around in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, servants, be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. You know, saying the right thing can be a good thing at times, right? Trying to be wise as a servant, harmless as a dove. Uh, you know, you don't just want to walk up to some lost guy and be like, you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity. You know, I mean, it's just kind of, I mean, you say, well, that's true. Well, yeah, but there's a little bit of approach in there. Isn't there some tact we ought to have? I believe in having some tact when you're dealing with people. I don't think you ought to just say whatever pops into your mind if you do that. Uh, well, you're going to get yourself in trouble real quick, aren't you? Now, I'm not saying it that way. But this people right here, he's saying, you know what? They honor me with their lips. That's a good thing, isn't it? Isn't it good to honor the Lord with what you say? Well, that's a good thing. They honor me with their lips. They praise me with their mouth. Isn't it right to praise the Lord? 
Uh, you ought to praise Him. Uh, you ought to praise Him. He deserves it. He's worthy of glory and honor and power. Uh, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of us saying the right things over and over again. But the Lord is very particular here. He, notice, he knows that the outward looks great. But you and I understand the outward is not the problem. I've, I've been taught for years from Pastor Legault, Pastor, uh, of course, Pastor Christian, of course, uh, Brother, Brother Ruckman down there. Uh, Dr. Ruckman taught it the same way in preaching class. Brother Donovan taught it the same way in preaching class. And ultimately, the truth is, if you get the heart, you get the rest. The problem is not the outside. The outside changes pretty quick and easy. Uh, anybody can, can get the outside to change. We can clean up the outside and make it look good. But the problem's the inside. The problem's the heart. The problem is our hearts deceive us into thinking that we're great when we're not good at all. And our problems don't come because we, we are doing everything on the outside looking good. Our problem is we let our hearts get far from the Lord. They honor me with their lips and they praise me with their mouth, but their heart, their heart, well, that's far from me. That's far from me. The issue is that the heart ultimately gets far from God. A lost man comes to the Savior, and they, don't, they aren't far from God. They're just completely separated. <laughs> they don't even have a distance to rate at that point. They are just completely away from Him. They're not far from Him. They have no connection with God at all. A lost man doesn't get to go, well, you know, I'm getting closer to God. No, you're not. A lost man is not getting closer to God. He can do all these good things that he wants to. He's getting no closer to God. They fool themselves into thinking, well, if I clean up my life and I clean up my act and I start doing these good things, then God's got to get me, I can get a little closer to him. No, you can't get closer. Your sins and iniquity separated you from him. You don't get any closer until you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and he washes you of all of your sins. And that day, that day when you go ahead and out of the heart, you believe and you trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That puts you in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That puts you in communion with God. And that's the time where you can at least, you can at least figure out if you're going to stay close or if you're going to start getting far away. Until the day you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have a relationship at all. Here you go. Nice, simple example. Real simple. How many of you personally know President Joe Biden? I don't think anybody in here does. Never met the man? Say, well, I've seen him on TV. I've seen this. I've seen that. I didn't. Okay, that's wonderful. You are in zero relationship with Joe Biden. He is the, he's the President of the United States. He's the President of the United States, but you aren't far from him. You may, you may in ide ideology, be far from him, but you aren't in any type of a relationship with him. He doesn't really know you exist. Well, I've got to honor the office, so I'm going to leave that alone. He doesn't really know anything about you. He doesn't know your name. doesn't know my name. Whether we matter to him or not, it doesn't really matter at that particular moment. 
you are in zero relationship until you actually meet the man, until you actually have a relationship with him. You're not far from him. You virtually don't exist in his world on that. There's people in this world that have power and they have wealth and they have might and they have all these things and they may be influential, but you don't have a relationship with them. You aren't far from them. You aren't even in their circle. You're separate from them. That's the relationship between God and a lost man. Here is God. He has all the power. He has all the knowledge. But you have never gotten to the place where you know him and he knows you that way. There's a separation there. And when you come to the Savior, you know what you get? You get a relationship with the Savior. He becomes your Savior. It becomes personal that Jesus Christ died for my sins. He, he died for me. And I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I trusted Him. And now He is my Savior, my God, my friend. And I have a closeness. I have a relationship. Now you and I have people in our lives that we're close to. We have people that we're closer to than we are to other people. That's normal, right? You have some closer friends that are close, and you may talk to them about problems that you never talk to anybody else about, but you'll talk to that one person, those two people, that few, uh, and you'd have those, and they're close. And there's other people that are farther away. There's some people in your life that you've allowed to stay farther away because of what they have done or how they behave themselves or what they have said. You keep them at a slight distance. They're still in your life. You still know them. You're still friends. Maybe you're still acquaintances at least, but they're a little far away. Because they may say all the right things around you, but you know they've done something different. You've been betrayed. You keep them at arm's length because you've decided, hey, I'm not dealing with that. There's people that are near or they're far, or there's people you have no idea who they are in the world. You know what the Lord says? The Lord says, this people. These were people who were supposed to know him. The nation of Israel is supposed to recognize their Messiah has shown up. A lost world, you know what they need to recognize? That a Savior has come. And they need to call upon him. And when they call upon him, you know what you and I have? You and I have eternal life given to us when you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior but the day-to-day, -day, the day-to-day -day is the question of if you'll be near or far. After you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be as close to Him as you would like. You can be. He wants to draw nigh, and He wants you to draw nigh. He says, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. He wants that. Why don't we get close to Him? Because we choose not to. And if I were to stand here this morning and I were to say, I uh, just ask the question, hey, how many of you love the Lord? Everybody would raise their hand. I don't, I don't think anybody in this room would be like, oh, no, I don't love him. <laughs> I mean, no, no, I'm not so sure about Jesus. Oh, you'd raise your hand. Oh, of course I love, I love the Lord. But if I were to ask you this morning, where's your heart in relation to him? Where's your heart this morning? Is it, well, they honor me with their lips. I love the Lord, but their heart is far from me. Would that be you this morning? Well, I mean, nobody really knows what I'm going through. 
Yeah, but eventually Matthew 12, 34 comes through. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Eventually your heart will deceive you. And eventually your heart will be in the place where you start saying all the things you're thinking. And what you really love is going to start showing up. So let's go ahead and let's see where your heart is this morning. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for how good you've been to us. That your mercies were renewed again this morning and you allowed us to show up in a place where we can open a Bible freely and be able to preach the word of God with boldness. And I pray you'd help me to do that. Help me to say it exactly the way you want it said. And I pray you'd just give me wisdom as I speak. Lord, that it would be all of you and not me. Father, I pray you'd help me to say just what you want me to say. Nothing more and nothing less. Father, I pray you would just give me wisdom today. I pray you'd work, work and help it to minister grace onto the hearers that people would understand and they would hear. And Father, maybe their heart is far away and I pray that they wouldn't leave that way. I pray they'd get close to their Savior again today. Father, I don't know if someone here is lost. I, I believe everybody in here is saved. But Father, if someone here has never asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior, I pray they'd recognize they can be close to God. And they can draw near by calling upon Jesus Christ to wash them of their sins and to take them to heaven. Lord, we pray that you would get all the praise, the honor, and the glory. We love you. And we do pray you wouldn't come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here he, here he is, and he says, uh, these people, they honor with their mouth and they praise me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Uh, well, what's the problem? The problem is very simply, it's your heart. Your heart's the problem. Mankind's problem is their heart. That's, that's, that's the deal. The deal is our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, he says in Jeremiah 17. And we think, well, no, I mean, I, I love the Lord. <laughs> okay. I love the Lord. Well, let me think about this just for a moment. You start thinking about the things that we love. Uh, the things, right? He says this, set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Uh, he tells us to lay up treasures in heaven instead of the worldly treasures that are here. So let me just give you a few thoughts here just for a moment. Uh, earthly treasures, earthly things people love. Right? We, you start with money. Men love their money. They love their house. They love their vehicle. They love their family. They love their sports teams. They love going out and just having some fun. Amusement. You know what else they love? They love drinking. Ah, it's just a beer every once in a while. It's a big deal. They love their cigarettes. They love their drugs. Say, oh, I mean, that's the world's... Okay. What do you have to take solace in? Well, I mean, I'm not doing crack cocaine or anything. Okay, yeah, but, uh, you know, the problem that we have is we get stressed and we get, and I do it, and we go ahead and have that bowl of ice cream. We go, we go ahead and have, have the cake and the brownies. and, the, and You grab that candy bar. I, say, what are you doing? Stressing? You're feeling stressed, and so what do you do? Do you go to Lord with your stress, or do you go to your, your refrigerator with your stress? Say, so who are you talking to? I'm talking to me. I don't need to, I don't need to preach to you. I'll preach to me. What do we do? That's what we do. We find comfort in something. 
The problem is we don't find comfort in the Lord. We find in what we love. And you go, yeah, but I love the Lord. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You deceive yourself into thinking you love the Lord on days when you don't love Him. Don't you? You ever, you ever been there? I've been there. I deceive my, well, yeah, I know I love the Lord, but I'm going to do what I want. It's your affections. It's your own lusts. It's all those things. And we start putting those things ahead of our Savior. We start putting the money and the job and the house and the car and the, all that starts coming first. All the toys and the things that we can possibly have, that all starts coming first. It's not the first place, our, the Lord's not the first place we go. The Lord's the second, third, fourth, fifth place we go, and we run to all those other things first. We're more concerned about those things. We're more concerned about what our friends think. We're more concerned about what pastor thinks. We're more concerned about what the, the world thinks. We're more concerned about what the boss thinks. We're more concerned about what my lost family will think. We're more concerned, and we're not concerned at all about what the Lord thinks. And we go, yeah, but I love the Lord. I love the Lord. He says in Genesis chapter 6, before he brings a flood to destroy the earth, his statement is that the imagination of their thoughts was only evil continually. The thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. Genesis chapter 8, he's getting ready. He's bringing that water back up off the earth. And he goes, what are we going to do? Why? Their thoughts are evil from their youth. Young or old, guess what? Your heart will deceive you. It doesn't, take, it doesn't take you to be an adult to go ahead and have your heart deceive you. Your heart has started working deceitfulness since the time you were born. It's learning deceitfulness. It's put in there and it's desperately wicked. And you say, well, you know, there are some great men in the Bible. Abraham is one of the greatest men in the Bible. One of the greatest men in the Bible. He is held up as the standard of faith and righteousness in God. He's held up as the standard. And he laughed in his heart at the promises of God. Genesis 17. Even the greatest men, you know what they struggle with? Keeping their heart near to where God wants them. That's the problem. The problem is your heart. And you think you know, and the Lord says, no, I know. I know. You, you know, Abraham's standing there going, yeah, Lord, yeah, we're going to do this. And inside he's laughing. And the Lord says, I'm going to call him Isaac. Because you're laughing at my promises. Oh, oh, those lips were out there. They were, oh, yeah, 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 let's do this. Lord's great. Okay. But inside you're going, Nope. I'm not doing that. Nope, I don't know. I'm not giving that up. I'm not changing that. I'm not... Okay. Then you're just proving what you love. You're just proving what your heart is. Not only is the problem your heart, the question comes, well, who knows I've got a problem? Does the preacher know? I don't know. You know what's amazing? I have no idea if you love the Lord today or not. I don't know if your relationship is good with Him or bad. You don't know if my relationship with Him is good or bad. You know, well, I mean, you're preaching. Obviously, it's got to be good. No, it doesn't. 
There's plenty of people in this country walking around preaching a message this morning, and you know what their heart is? Their heart is on money, and their heart is on gaining a crowd, and their heart is on gaining numbers and things like that, and they have no care or concern with the people they're preaching to, and they have no care or concern whether or not they're pleasing God when they do it. You have no clue. Not really. You have no idea if I'm right with the Lord this morning. I hope so. <laughs> right? We want to be, especially if I'm up here, I want to be. But you're sitting there, I would think you'd want to be right with the Lord. <laughs> You came into church this morning, I'm expecting you to hope to be right with God and on the same page and near Him. I, I mean, that's right, that's the idea. Well, who knows that I got a problem? You and God. You and the Lord know. Look over, uh, look over at 1 Samuel. We'll turn a couple places here. 1 Samuel chapter 16. You know the spot. You've got 1 Samuel chapter 16, right? Saul has failed. Samuel is coming over to the house of Jesse. He is getting ready to anoint David as king. Of course, Samuel doesn't know it. Samuel's looking for the guy he's supposed to anoint. And the oldest brother comes in, Eliab comes in. And verse 6, Samuel's looking at him and he says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. <laughs> he says, man, this guy is great. He's got to be it. He looks like he ought to be a king. But the Lord said unto Samuel, verse number 7, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know what the Lord knew? The Lord knew something Samuel didn't know. He knew what was going on in Eliab's heart. So what was going on in Eliab's heart? Pride. Pride was going on. Say, so how do you know that? Because of later when David shows up to the battle with Goliath. And the way he treats his brother is an issue of pride. That's the problem. That heart was deceitful. Well, how come I'm not good enough? How come the Lord refused me? And the pride starts to well up. And he's looking, hey, why aren't you watching those few sheep over there? Oh, because I'm just doing what, God, what uh, my father told me to do. Hey, Eliab, maybe if you paid attention to what the father said, maybe you would be all right. But the problem is the Christian doesn't want to listen to what the Father says. Instead, the Christian lets their heart wander because they don't want to do what they were told. They look around and they think they deserve something more. They get mad at God because they look around and they say, well, how come so-and-so's got this blessing and how come I don't have that blessing? They look over there and say, well, why didn't God ask me to do that? Because simply, you, you weren't supposed to do it. But the trouble is, now you go, well, I wanted that. And your heart is far away. If only you could figure out God's got something for me, what could I do? Lord, what would you have me to do? What was the problem with Peter and John? Peter's told where he's going to go and how he's going to die. <laughs> and he says, well, what about this guy? <laughs> Peter, what is that to you? What does it matter what so-and-so is doing? If you're good with me, you are set. Quit looking at John. John doesn't matter. It's me that matters. Peter, it's me. Look at me. We just got your heart straightened out two seconds ago. Peter, lovest thou me? 
Peter, lovest thou me? Peter, do you love me? His heart's breaking. And then the first thing he does is go, yeah, but what about John? Peter. <laughs> Peter, stop worrying about John. Peter, worry about what I told you to do. So what do you find? How quickly our hearts can move. The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 3 that the Lord tries the hearts. He's going to test them. Proverbs 17.3, he's going to test your heart. He wants to know. He wants to know what's in there and what you love. I can think of no greater example than, of course, Abraham with Isaac. You want to know why Abraham, why Abraham passed the test? Because he loved God more than he loved the promises God gave him. He loved God. Now, isn't that the Lord's answer in Genesis 22? Because I know that you love me. It wasn't a question of whether he would kill Isaac or not. It was a question of what do you love? Do you love me or do you love the things I have given you? The Christian falls in love with the things that he, that he gets and the things that the Lord blesses him with. And he loves the blessings of God and he forgets all about the one who gives him the blessings. We fall in love with the fact that we have all these things and the Lord says, yeah, but you don't have me right now. You're far from me. You've wandered away from me. He says in Psalm chapter 7 that the Lord tries the hearts and the reins. Now I know biblically the reins would be the renal, right? The inside, all those wonderful organs and things. And the things, right, your gut. But think just for a moment, I, I like equating that to the reins of a horse. Now, I like that because it's very simple. It's a very simple thought. And the idea is that if you're riding a horse, you're supposed to have the reins to be in control. The reins are the thing that controls the horse, and it's just a small little bit, right? You see that in James. It's the bit in the bridle. And that little tiny bit is supposed to make it so that you can turn the entirety of that horse and go the direction you want to go based upon what you want it to do. And the Lord's sitting there, and you know what he's doing with you? He's on you, and he's got the reins of your life, and he's supposed to be able to just give it a slight pull. And ever so slightly, you know to turn right. And ever so slightly, you know to turn left. And ever so slightly, he pulls you to stop. And ever so slightly, he encourages you to go. You know, the horse that's not broken is the horse that you yank on. And it takes more to get him to recognize what you're doing and what you want him to do and get him to submit to the will of the rider. To get him to submit to do what you want him to do. You have to break the horse, right? You have to break the horse in to get it to do what you want it to do. And Christians are so full of their pride and they're so full of themselves and they're so full and you get off into the world and you keep doing that and you keep getting far enough, the Lord's going to have to break you a second time. When it's better if you'd have just stayed with the Lord and stayed near. Say, why does the Lord try the hearts? So that he can go ahead and make sure you understand whether you're in fellowship with him or not. How do I know that I have a problem? How hard has the Lord got a pull to get your attention? How hard does the Lord have to hit you and give you and get you to go ahead and do what he asked? Is it just the simple command? 
How do I know if, I'm, if I'm, me and the Lord are on the same page? You know you're on the same page by how much it takes to get you to turn and to do what he asked you to do. We've all been there where the Lord's bringing some chastening into our life. We've been there when the message comes out and it preaches and we hear the word of God preached and we go, yes, sir, I, you're right. And the word comes out and boom, we change it. And we go, oh, that's, and the Lord's like, that's what I want. We're reading our Bible and we turn the pages of the Bible and the Lord starts speaking to us and we go, I'll do that, Lord. Just a simple word from the master and we turn. But then there's other times. There's other times when we've heard it preached and we've read it ourselves and we've heard it and we've heard it and we've heard it and we've heard it and all of a sudden the Lord has to start bringing some chastening in and he starts giving you the whip instead of going ahead and trying to help you with the bridle. Instead of you just turning when you were supposed to turn, he's got to bring some chastening because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And so he's bringing chastisement in and he's having to bring down that whip and he doesn't want to, but you won't turn. And so he's trying to get you to turn and trying to get you to see your heart's not with me, your heart's not with me, your heart's not with me. With me you need to turn you need to turn you need to turn how hard the Lord have to go ahead and get after you for you just to turn say what's wrong your heart's the problem your heart's the problem and the Lord is sitting there yanking going would you just turn to me would you just turn to me would you just turn this corner already and you go well I just can't get victory I mean, I love the Lord and I'm doing what he told me, but the Lord says, no, you won't turn. You won't go in the way that I would have you go. You keep going the way you want to go. You keep, you keep going the direction you want to go and you won't submit to what I told you to do. It amazes me how many times you deal with somebody and you talk with them and you try to give them counsel and you try to show them out of a Bible and you go ahead and you, you try to encourage them to do the right thing. And how many times people come back around and go, well, you know, and you go, did you do, it? Did you do what we talked about? Well, no, but. And you go, okay, how many times do you want your heart to have to get yanked on so hard? How many times do you want to go through that same thing and recognize you're not doing it God's way? And your heart is not close to him. You can say everything you want to say. You can say all the, all the things. You can get all the Christian lingo down and we can go ahead and praise the Lord and oh, I love him and oh, this is amazing and oh, this is just so wonderful. Pastor, thank you for the message. It was so good today. And you walk out those doors and your heart didn't move at all. And it wasn't because you were near. It's because you didn't want to be near. You don't want to be near because you don't want to please the Lord. You'd rather please yourself. You'd rather please you. Look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, and were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. 
But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. He says, hey, you know what we did? As we were allowed of God, we spoke. And we didn't do it to make anybody else happy. We did it to please God, which trieth the hearts. Say, what's he doing trying my heart? He wants to know if you want to please him or if you want to please anybody else. He wants to know if you are going to please him no matter what happens, or if you're going to appease everybody around you, or you're going to appease whatever it is your flesh wants to do, whatever the world wants you to do, whatever your friends want you to do, whatever your family wants you to do, whatever you just feel like doing. God's going, hey, are you going to choose me or are you going to choose everything else? Oftentimes, we choose everything else. Probably too many times, we choose everything else. And the Lord puts it down as another trial, and he says, okay, let me see this. Let me see if you're going to choose me. Let me just see if you're going to choose me. Let me see if you're going to trust me. Let me see if you'll do it my way. Let me see if you'll go ahead and stay close to me. People in trials and people in trouble, you know what they do? They either get close or they pull themselves away. There's a choice. The Lord's using it to try to bring you close. But you may decide you don't want to be close. And you may try to move farther away. And the Lord says, yeah, but I would have gathered you together as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, but you would not. That's what he says over the city of Jerusalem in Matthew 25. He's looking over the city and he's going, hey, I want to gather you together as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings. But you won't do it. Why? Because you honor me with your lips and you praise me with your mouth, but your heart's far from me. You don't want to get gathered. You don't want to be close. You don't want to be near him. Well, why don't we serve? Why don't we go? Why don't we do? Why don't, I, why don't I do any of these things? You say, well, I do those out of service. I got to do that out of duty. Or you could do it out of love. I mean, yeah, you could do it as lip service and you can do it as men pleasers and you can go ahead and do it because Pastor and Pastor Legault told you to do it. And you could do it because, you know, Brother James is expecting me out on the street corner. I got to be there and, you know, I got I to teach and I got to... Because everybody's looking at me. Or you can forget about everybody else. And you can go, Lord, I know that you wanted me to do this. And because I love you, I'll do it. You say, well, we should only serve if we're in love with the Lord. I'm going to be honest. That's not always going to be your motivation. The good news is you ought to recognize when it's not your motivation. Not loving the Lord is not the excuse to not do what he asked you to do. Some days it is that which is our duty to do. (laughs) And other days it's a whole lot better because you get to love him while you do it. You get to show him how much you 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 love him just by doing what he asked you to do. That's when you know you're in fellowship. That's when we know we're near and not far. That's when it's not just about lip service as men pleasers. That's when we know. But what's, what's the solution? What do we got to do? How do we fix it? We all know our heart is, is just, I mean, our heart turns just like that. You ever notice that? You ever get frustrated with yourself? You're like, yep, I love the Lord. Everything's going good. Ten seconds later, 
You're a train wreck, just like Peter. Well, what about John? Our heart hangs lefts faster than we can even imagine. It's like, oh, let me just see. Can I get off course as quickly as possible? Yes, absolutely, you can. You can ruin the whole thing. You ever start off great in the morning, and by the end of the day, you're like, I don't know what happened. I have no clue. I thought I was great. Me and the Lord were perfect. Like, I thought we started off first couple hours were great. And then I don't even know what happened. I don't know. I lost him somewhere in the middle there and uh, had to get him back a little while later and go, Lord, I don't know what I did. But my heart turned. My heart turned. It amazes me how quick my heart turns away from him. And the deceitfulness of our heart and what we turn to and how quickly we turn. We think we knew what God wanted and we just, we go, well, yeah, but I don't want to. And we turn. And we turn. And you say, well, you know, I believe the Lord. I, I, you know, I love the Lord and I, I believe Him. But, you know, it's funny. I don't want you. I don't really like being called a liar. You walk up to a guy and be like, you're a liar. <laughs> Usually, you're going to get punched in the face right after that, right? Uh, people don't, I don't, I don't watch you, I don't like being called a liar. I, I don't like it. But if you walked up to me and said, oh, pastor, you're, you're wonderful, you're amazing. Uh, you know, the message was, was fantastic this morning. Uh, I just don't believe a word you said. Oh. Uh, you know what you do to the Lord? Lord, I love you. You're a wonderful God. You saved me forever. I just don't trust what you told me. Well, I wouldn't call God a liar. You just did I don't believe what you told me. That is not a man of faith. And that, that is not a man who is close to the Lord and loves the Lord. You just told him he was a liar. So well, I didn't put it that way, but you did. You said it without saying it. You understand that he wants you close to him and his statement about the whole thing is draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lord says, hey, you can clean it up and you can get it fixed and you don't have to go ahead and keep going the direction you're going. We can fix it. You draw nigh to me. I'll draw nigh to you. All you got to do is wash off. And by the way, I paid for everything you need to wash off and you already know it. If you're in here and you're lost, the Bible says, hey, you can have salvation. You can get close to God. You can be saved and know it for all of eternity. You can have your sins forgiven forever. The sins and the iniquities that have put you separated from God makes it so that Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, will wash you of all of your sins and you can get nigh to God again. You can get nigh to God. The Christian, they can get nigh to God. He says He'll cleanse you from all of your sins. You can trust Him. You can choose Him. You can choose to love not the things because if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life are not of the Father, but they are of the world. You can go ahead and quit choosing all those things and you can fall in love with God. 
Well, why don't I? Because you've made a choice to love everything else. You've made a choice. Love is a constant of a choice. And you choose every day and every moment of every day to love God or not. I think every decision we make is based on what we love more. Whether we choose it for ourselves, whether we choose it for our spouse, whether we choose it for our kids and our family, whether we choose it because we love the world, whether because we love our sin, whether it's because we love something else, every choice we make is based on love. And either you love him or you don't. So that's a pretty harsh statement. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You chose to love something else. You choose to love. Well, I don't, I don't love you anymore. I fell out of love. That's the world's mentality of love. You choose to love God. You choose that you're going to be here this morning and hopefully you came out of love. Because you love the Lord, you wanted to come and worship Him. Tonight we'll have a service at 6 o'clock. I hope you come back because you love the Lord and you want to worship Him. Wednesday night we'll have a prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. I hope you come back on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock so you can come and worship God and pray with His saints because you love Him and you want to have time with Him. Some of you were here for 9.30 Sunday school. Some of you weren't. Say, well, I just couldn't. Okay. You choose what you love. You choose what you'll spend time with. You spend time with the one that you love. You spend time doing the things that you love. The Lord gives us the option in Revelation chapter 2. He tells them, Hey, I know thy works and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them that are evil, and they've tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. He says, Hey, you're doing great. You're doing all the outward. You're honoring me with lips and you're praising me with the mouth. He says this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Repent. Repent. Change, make a better choice. Repentance is choosing to change directions. Change directions. Your heart's been going the wrong direction. Change directions and love the Lord again. Repent from whence thou art fallen. Or else I will come unto thee and remove thy candlestick out of his place. But we're doing everything right. Except you're not loving the one who gave his life for you. You know the hymn and I know it. I love hymn histories. Come Thou Fount is one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite hymns as well as one of my favorite stories. Bobby Robinson wrote the hymn. He wrote the first two verses. And that was the only, that was the only thing. He had two verses. And he wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercies never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above 
praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I know by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. That's where he stopped it. old lady is riding on a train a few years later this young man shows up on the train looks like a train wreck himself grubby clothes tattered and torn covered in whatever and she's a Christian lady sitting there and she starts singing some hymns and as she sings she comes along and pretty popular in the day she started, come thou fount of... And he said, ma'am, don't sing that song. Don't sing that song. She didn't want to upset him. He looked like he was in pretty rough shape and didn't want to make matters any worse for him. So she sang some more and time went on as they're riding on that train and she says, uh, she starts singing, come thou fount of every blood. He says, ma'am, I told you don't sing that one. She said, sir, if you don't mind me asking... Why that one? I've just been singing these Christian hymns. That's just another hymn that I know. What is it about that one? He said, I didn't write any of the other ones. And since then, I have gotten far away from God. And there is no way back. She looked at that young man and said, that's not the God that I know. And she opened the Bible. And she started showing him how he could be back in fellowship and draw close to his Savior again. He can get forgiven for all the mistakes he's made and all the times he's fallen short and all the times he couldn't even figure out what God wanted of him and all the times that he failed and all the times that he wasn't close. She looked at him and said, you may be far away, but you don't have to be. This morning, you may be far away, but you don't have to be. He wrote the last verse. He added it on to the end of his song. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy goodness like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. 
go ahead and stand. I don't know, maybe you feel like Brother Robinson did. You know you're away. And maybe you even think, I can't get back. But the truth is, there's a wonderful God who does love you. And he loves you more than you could ever possibly love him. And he wants you near. He wants us close. He doesn't want us to wander. We're prone to wander. We're prone to stray. We're prone to go the wrong direction. A lost world is living and going in the direction that they want to go. And they have no idea that God in His mercy and in His grace and His compassion would reach down and pull them out of that way and go ahead and set their feet upon a rock and establish their goings and save them and forgive them of all of their sins. But sadly, the Christian chooses to live just like the rest of the world and not trust and love and stay in close fellowship. You say, well, I mean, I love the Lord. I hope it's more than your lips and your mouth. I hope you love him. And I hope you stay close to him. Let this be a great reminder of staying close because he wants you near and he wants to bless. And as soon as anything gets in the middle, get it out. Get it out and stay close. Father, I do pray you would bless the hour. I pray you would help us, Lord, to stay close. We love you and we pray you would come back soon in Jesus' name.